Thanks. Um, how's everyone doing? Good. Good, 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 good. It's a quiet crowd. <laughs> Losing things up a little bit here. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of background on myself. And actually, people that have seen me speak publicly before know that I, I don't normally do this because I'm usually all about hitting the main topics. But I think it's important to understand uh, at least my perspective of where Baltimore is. Uh, I'm sure Bob has a lot to say on this as well and others in the room from a socialist standpoint. So I, I've been a socialist since high school. And when I first came to Baltimore, I actually heard a guy on the radio, uh, Bob Kaufman. I was on the Mark Steiner show. And that's how I got involved with, yeah, for those of you that know Bob, I think it's right, yeah. Uh, and I studied under Bob for a, a minute or two. Um, uh, uh, then um, somehow got transferred to an organization called Spark, which for those of you that know Spark, they're very secretive and I can't talk about it. Um, and I found that their organizing style did not really match mine. Uh, did a little work with the ISO, but the ISO didn't have a very strong foothold here in Baltimore at the time. They kept waxing and waning. Um, and then I joined up with Solidarity. And Solidarity is really where I found my political home on the socialist left. Um, I, I think their politics very much spoke to mine. And I just want to say this as a caveat, too. So I'm not one of those socialists that go out there and say, oh, you know, I'm exactly this level of Leninist and I'm this level of Trotskyist. That's not really my assessment of a socialist organization. My assessment is what are you doing in the community? Um, Solidarity did a bunch of forums and stuff like this, and they were very engaging in certain communities that I liked. And I liked the way they thought about politics in general. Um, I've also done a little bit of work with uh, People's Power and Workers World too, but I've never really been a member of theirs. Um, at this point, I was kind of seeing that the socialist left in Baltimore was incredibly fractured, just massively fractured. I was shocked to see how many different small groups there were, you know, coming and going and this and that. And it was it was really interesting. And at this time, unfortunately, solidarity kind of fizzled out as well, which was very unfortunate. Um, so I, I I joined DSA at the. Um, at the insistence of uh, Jonathan, our former chapter leader, the first, I think the founder for the Baltimore chapter. Um, and he first told me about, you know, DSA has always had Bernie as a keynote speaker, and they're sort of independent, but they work within the Democratic Party. And I was mostly concerned what they were doing in this community at the time. And I did see that the DSA was growing rapidly. And as the DSA grew, my involvement with the DSA grew. I was involved with the Electoral Committee. I was involved with the Security Committee, like cybersecurity and stuff like that. And then I got involved with the national level of the Electoral Committee, which was, which was really interesting. There is a dominance in the DSA, and I think that it's reflected nationally, um, that the major metropolitan areas, like New York City, um, get a lot of headlines. And in fact, when I was actually on the National Electoral Committee, a lot of people don't realize this, but uh, Virginia Lee, Anyone know his first name? Lee Carter. Lee Carter, thank you, yeah, yeah. Lee Carter actually didn't catch the attention of the National DSA. He wasn't endorsed by the National DSA. Um, so I think we, we were one of the, I think it was the first committee ever to start talking about National Electoral Committee politics. And every state is so different. The power of electoral politics lies at the state level. That's 50 plus the territories times over. That's how many different policies you have to have. And I found a lot of agreement with my comrades from like New York who were lawyers who were saying the difficulty of our task. 
um, because you can't you need a, you need literally a 50 state strategy just from a legal standpoint to back candidates. But I also found myself differing seeing what was happening on the ground in Baltimore. In Baltimore, anyone can run for office and say, oh yeah, I'm the greatest and I've got backers and I'm going to win and blah, 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 you know. And they could claim to be almost anything, socialist, um, progressive. I have seen someone who, I mean, has excellent relationship with Governor Hogan run as a progressive. Baltimore is a very unique city in that sense. It's a very small city. Um, and it's got years of neglect and years of the Democratic Party running it, to be frank with you as well. So when I was on the National Electoral Committee, one of the things that, that I really didn't like was their emphasis on running candidates that could win. Because I knew plenty of well-funded candidates that could make the argument that they could win, but then were they actually going to do socialist policies? So uh, I think that's, you know, the DSA though, interestingly enough, and I sometimes in the meetings we talk about this, um, we don't have a any branch, any local can do its own strategy. So there isn't a you must follow this hierarchy kind of thing. I think it's called democratic centralism. Is that like a hierarchy thing? Mm -hmm. For those of you that don't, yeah. We don't follow that in the DSA, and it's caused a lot of interesting moments, I think, in the Baltimore branch. I'll just I'll leave it at that. Um, so I want to just step to the higher level a little bit. So in 2014, I ran against Schultrupersberger on the Green Party ticket. And basically, I'm a cybersecurity guy. He was talking about how Edward Snowden is a traitor to our country and should be locked up. Edward Snowden was someone in his district. Edward Snowden should have been able to go to Dutch Ruppersberger and say, hey, I'm seeing this terrible stuff happening with the NSA. You should do something about it. Instead, this is the treatment he got. So I met up with the Green Party, and I started to run that way. And it was fantastic because I got to debate Dutch Ruppersberger on stage. I got to talk to him about things he's never heard of before. He had never heard of uh, basic income, never. He had heard of uh, Medicare for all, but he quickly said he was against it, saying like, seniors deserve Medicare. How dare we try to give that to everyone? Everyone should have Medicaid if you're too poor, that kind of thing. Uh, it was policies that he just never was were, were, were faced on before. So it was really interesting. And I, you know, being in that debate, getting out there, really changed some people's minds about what policies we could be fighting for. In 2016, um, I ran for city council. And a lot of people don't know this, but I actually briefly ran a Democrats campaign for city council as well in the primary, um, who won. And my own campaign in city council, I lost. Uh, we got about 15%. And we saw a lot of weird things happening. Um, someone was able to come in at the last minute, put their name on the ballot just after the deadline, just by lobbying the State Board of Elections down in Annapolis. This is the kind of stuff that happens here in Maryland. 2017, I ran Annie Chambers' campaign for ha housing commissioner, uh, HUD housing commissioner, or well, not the resident advisory board. Uh, and we won because I, I do believe that the left, or whatever you want to call the socialist left, needs victories. I do believe the Green Party needs victories as well. Um, but we have to be realistic about where we can get our victories. We have to be realistic about the stronghold, the chokehold of the Democratic Party on this state, and what it would even mean to join the Democratic Central Committee, or what it really means to be a socialist Democrat in office in Maryland. What would that really look like? Even though I don't really know of anyone running as a socialist Democrat right now. Uh, and so uh, I agreed to join the governor's race in 2018. And people don't realize this, but in the governor's race, we have to get 1%. 
And I'm all about down-ticket candidates. So it was a little shocking people that I decided to join the governor's race. But I have to remind people that there is a law on the books. The Democrats and Republicans have written it, mostly the Democrats, that says we've got to get 1% in this race or we lose ballot access or we're not a ticket anymore. It's as simple as that. So let's say Josh Harris with the DSA endorse wins. The next day after he wins and I lose the 1%, Reverend Chambers and I, he would be called an independent, not a green. It would be a hail to victory for independence everywhere, not a Green Party victory. I also want to point out in 2008, uh, Kevin Zeese ran for Senate in Maryland. And he actually, he's a lawyer, read the law and said, I don't see any law against this. I'm going to try this. He got the Libertarian nomination and the Green nomination and gave those you know, uh, paperwork to Annapolis. The legislature called an emergency session in 2008, out of session, got everyone back to Annapolis. They needed to get a vote and created a law that said, you cannot be on both ballot lines. You can only be on one ballot line. And it has to be the one you're registered. So that's how strong the Democratic and Republican chokehold is on this state. And if you go throughout the state, you'll see what we're seeing. Uh, Republicans are allowed to do whatever they need to do, capitalist Republicans, in certain areas of the state. And the Democrats just allow them to do it. They intentionally carve out areas of power and control all across the state. This has been done very intentionally. It's been done for decades. To claw back at it is difficult. It takes a tremendous amount of work. When I started working with Reverend Chambers, one of the things that struck me about her is that you know she's a former Black Panther, and I use the term former Black Panther. And whenever I say that, she corrects me and says, no, you're never a former Black Panther. I'm a current Black Panther, because the movement never end. And you know, for those that don't know her as well as some of the other Black Panthers out there, it's because she's still fighting in the community. She's still out there organizing against the closure of public housing. She's still out there organizing against police violence. Um, she doesn't care about her own name recognition as much as she cares about rallying her community. And ever since the 2016 campaign, I've been a socialist since I was in high school, and I firmly believe that we, and I'm, I'm including myself in this because I'm at the tail end of the millennials there, or the tail beginning of the millennials, I guess you could say, I'm 33. The millennial generation has more in common with poor and working class people than they do with their own parents who might be petty bourgeois capitalists. <laughs> I will never be able to get a job the way that my mom got a job, where they promised her before she started college, we'll give you a job uh, and we'll make sure that your college is paid for and just stick with us. That's how she got a job. My dad the exact same way. That will never happen for our generation anymore. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you consider yourself uh, a, 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 a small business owner, or if you consider yourself an Uber driver, or if you consider yourself someone trying to get a union job um, in one of the few unions that are left out there, it doesn't matter. You your interests are in intrinsically aligned with the working poor. And that is the message that I try to repeat to socialists out there over and over and over again. And I say this not because um, I, I I, I'm really scared and worried about continuing fracturing of the socialists out there. And I think that the Democratic Party has done a really good job of welcoming people into its ranks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, no one was more pleased. Well, I don't want to say that, but, you know, Ocasio-Cortez's victory was amazing. It was great. But to see someone then go ahead and stump for the Democratic Party, I love the fact that the DSA in New York 
I mean, openly said that that is not right and that we're not going to go that route. And every year, whenever the DSA National, because I'm not in that committee anymore, makes its national commitments, I always look to see, are they supporting independents? Are they supporting Greens? I firmly believe in an inside-outside strategy, but I think that the folks that are firmly inside really need to explore their own strategy for what they're doing with the Democrats. You see, I don't believe that there is room to pull the Democratic Party, to pull socialists out of the Democratic Party. I think if you're in the Democratic Party, you're probably going to stay in the Democratic Party. Because the Democratic Party does a lot of work getting socialists, uh, getting middle class individuals, super voters, to consistently vote Democrat year after year after year after year. Sometimes the tactics are right, sometimes the tactics are illegal, but they do it. I think that we've got to talk to anyone who works in politics. If you're knocking doors, you're probably knocking doors on a super voter who's probably middle class that has a lot of time to vote. It's time that we reframe this as socialists and said that our interests are aligned with those that are out there that are trying to get the votes of poor working class people, people that don't traditionally vote, people that feel like they have no one to represent them. because. If you take the movement of building class consciousness and add on top of it a layer of organizing around elections, I think you have a recipe for creating an actual populist front against the two capitalist parties. And that's sort of the way that I fundamentally see things. And I think um, I've done a lot of work with um, Ujima's over the past couple of years, and I think Brother Nambi is 100% correct. Because if you look at our issues in my race, you know, of course we're calling for a basic income. We're calling for a jobs guarantee, which is now becoming part of the Democratic Party. And then universal health care, which I think the Green Party's been calling for it forever. Now the Democrats are finally starting to get around it. But we're also calling for realistic things the governor could do right away. No more working with ICE, period, in this state. In fact, the state police should actually keep track of where ICE's movements are and help immigrants trying to gain asylum status, proper legal asylum status, to keep their status, working literally against ICE and federal police. I think right away, the state agency, uh, the Baltimore City Police Department is a state agency for those that don't realize it. The mayor has control over the budget a little bit, so does the city council, and uh, they can appoint who is in charge of that organization. But Baltimore City Police is a state agency. Governor Hogan could dissolve it. And we've seen this in Camden, New Jersey. If the police department gets out of control, you can reset the police department. You can make everyone reapply for their job. You can bring in state troopers. They would fill in for a while. And then we have a whole new police department under community control. Because you could actually bring the community in to organize, you know, to work hand in hand with saying, this is the officer I want on my community. This is the officer I don't want on my community. Until we get to, you know, actual community control of police, which I think is a term that's often misused. Uh, the Maryland Department of the Environment could stop things like the Bresco incinerator being renewed. It could stop things like uh, 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 the, the, the Calvert Point uh, liquefied natural gas export facility, where communities have said, we don't want this stuff in our backyard. It's poisoning us. It's killing us. It's giving us asthma. So I think it's really important to understand that when you're out there knocking doors, you can create a class consciousness by saying, are you tired of police violence? Are you tired of your schools? being uh, underheated in the winter and sweltering in the summer? Are you tired of all, uh, all you know, all of, of housing projects being closed in this city? 
And all the Democrats or Republicans do is point fingers back and forth and back and forth. And they like it that way. And they like it that way. Let's just be frank about this. They want a boogeyman. I, I'm, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say it publicly. The Democratic Party is thrilled with a Trump victory because now they're expecting a new blue wave in the other direction. And this back and forth gets us nowhere. We've seen it in Maryland for too long. Democrats will tell you that Hogan's the problem for not having the schools heated. Republicans will tell you it's the Democrats. Back and forth and back and forth, nothing gets done. Because there's no interest in a true socialist solution to this problem. If there was a socialist economic paradigm in Baltimore City, we didn't have to worry about capitalism. To get the schools and to get every student properly um, educated, you would have to make sure they have proper housing. You would have to make sure they have proper medical care, glasses, their laundry was done, their food was packed. You'd have to, every single step of a child's life, make sure that the community is supporting them. And there is no way that's going to happen in a capitalist system. So it's time that we used our power as socialists, as people that have done the organizing work in Baltimore City and elsewhere in the country, to create a class consciousness from the poor to the homeless, all the way to a working class union worker. And that's why I'm in this campaign. Thanks. Thank you all.